We'll open your Bibles, if you have them, to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, and we'll be taking a look at just the first six verses together. We're continuing our study of the seven churches of Revelation. We've already taken a look at four of them, and we're going to be talking about Sardis together. The first church we talked about was the church at Ephesus. That could be described as the loveless church. If you recall, Jesus told that church, remember from where you have fallen, repent and repeat the first things. And we talked about um, the church at Smyrna. Jesus had only commendations for them. He told the church at Smyrna to fear not and to remain faithful. We talked about the church at Pergamos. It was the, the, uh, the compromising church. And Jesus told that church to repent. He also told the church at uh, Thyatira, the corrupt church, to repent as well. And now we come to the church at Sardis. I mean, we talked about the loveless church, the compromising church, the corrupt church, the suffering church. What other kinds of churches are there? The church at Sardis is the dead church. And what kind of message would Jesus have for a church that is barely showing any kinds of life and is described as dead? We get to hear what the message is to the dying church or the dead church and what we can learn from it. So let's go and read the text beginning in verse 1. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And as we walk through each of the messages given to these seven churches, now we're on the fifth one, we're reminded that these messages given to the churches by Jesus were local and literal churches located in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and the message that was given to each one was available to be read by the rest. As the book of Revelation gets distributed to the different churches, especially around Asia Minor, you get to receive your message, but also the messages of the other churches. And we were also told that in light of the fact that we have this text, the book of Revelation, we have something to learn from the messages given to each of them, especially here today as we talk about the dead church of Sardis. Jesus begins each of the messages about the same. If I could give you just a few headings that will guide us in our, our study tonight, it would be, we'll take a look at the context as we have in verse one. We'll consider the corrections in verses two to three that Jesus has for the church, and then we'll talk about the commendations, not given to the whole church, but just the few faithful within the church and what Jesus has to say them. We begin with the context, though, and Jesus always begins with the recipient and also the author as he describes himself. 
The recipient is to the angel of the church in Sardis. As we've said each week, the angel can refer to a heavenly messenger or an earthly messenger. Here, of course, it refers in the context of the local church, the messenger of the church, most likely the pastor. When you think of the messenger of the church who declares the word of the Lord, it most likely refers to the pastor here. And this is to the pastor of the church in Sardis. The location of Sardis, we talked about Thyatira last time, is located about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. It was uh, an important city. It was uh, uh, located in a strategic place in terms of a trade route in the kingdom of Lydia. When you think of the trade that took place there, they manufactured things like jewelry and textiles. um, uh, And so they were a very wealthy city because of that. When you think about the religious atmosphere, it was the center of pagan worship, just as we read about in these other cities. Uh, You can see the ruins of Artemis, the temple of Artemis, still there today. And if you were to take a look at it on the map, it's interesting to note that there's just a small village that lives there, and the location is called Sart. And archaeologists have actually found that close to the ruins of where the temple lied, Uh, Lay was uh, a church that was once present there. And so that's just interesting to note. But Jesus has a a message to the church at Sardis. He calls them dead, but the reality is there are a few faithful within the body. And um, so that's the, the, the recipient of the letter. It's to the angel of the church at Sardis. And then Jesus describes himself in in uh, terms that are relevant to each of the churches. If you recall, you can take a look at all of the descriptions of Christ and go back to chapter one and you'll see each of them listed. But Jesus has something specific to tell each of these churches based on who they are and based on the challenges that they're facing or the circumstances they're in. So to the dead church, what do you say to that church? Jesus reminds them that he's the one who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. What does Jesus mean that he has the seven spirits? Well, the number seven is significant in the Bible. It's uh, symbolic and metaphorical for completion or fullness. When we're talking about seven spirits Jesus has, most likely it's referring to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know who Jesus is to the dead church, Jesus is the one who has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if a church needs life, Jesus is the one who can give it. Um, You read about the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 11, two to five, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Who has the fullness of the spirit? It's Christ. If there's a dead church, Christ is the only one who can breathe new life into it. John 14, 15 to 18 says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans. I will keep you. Who is Jesus? He's the one who has the seven spirits, the fullness of the spirit. He's the one who provides the helper in order to breathe new life into a dying church. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who has the fullness of the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. And so this church and every other church needs to be reminded that Jesus is the one who has the seven spirits. 
If you need life breathed back into your church, into our church, if ever we find symptoms of a dying church, even as we read about them here, we need to be reminded Jesus has the fullness of the Spirit. Who is the solution? It's Christ and him crucified. Jesus not only has the seven spirits, he has the seven stars in his hand. If you were with us back in chapter 1, I think verse 20, It told us that Jesus, in chapter 1, is walking among these seven golden lampstands. If you remember the Apostle John, he has this vision. And he sees Jesus, one like the Son of Man, walking among these seven golden lampstands, holding in his right hand seven stars. And then we learn in chapter 1, verse 20, those seven lampstands are these seven local churches in Asia Minor. Those seven stars are the seven angels or the seven pastors or messengers of the church. I'd like to suggest this morning the reason Jesus describes himself as not just the one who has the seven, um, the seven spirits but also has the seven stars, it reminds us that Jesus not only breathes life through the power of the Holy Spirit, but he breathes life into the local church through the appointment of godly leaders. As godly leaders are placed in the right positions to preach the word of God, as the as the church comes under the teaching of the word of God and the spirit of God begins to turn their heart back to the Lord and submit to that, then you see the church being equipped for the work of ministry as Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 tells us. As the church functions within its original design and God provides these leaders, godly leaders, who are going to teach and preach the word of God in season and out of season when it's popular and when it's not, not just to itch ears, but to declare the word of God to breathe life back into the church. God provides overseers of the church, elders of the church to um, watch out for doctrinal error or to point out moral compromise when it presents itself so that the, the life of the church isn't compromised. So that the influence of the Holy Spirit isn't isn't compromised. You know, Jesus in a moment, he's going to say, your church has a reputation that it's alive, but it's dead. How can Jesus say that? Well, when you think of what a dead body is, a dead body is when someone's body is separated from their spirit. When you take a look at the church in the context of being dead, we're reminded that the church is separated from the spiritual influence of the Holy Spirit. And so what the church has done here, the church at Sardis, is they have forfeited the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see the corrections that are given to help us discern what's going on here and what we can learn from it. But who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who identifies himself as the one who breathes life into the church through the Holy Spirit and breathes life into the church through godly leaders of the church who teach and preach the word of God as those who are his under-shepherds. If I could open it up for discussion, if Jesus is the one who breathes life into a church through the power of the Spirit, how is it possible for a church to forfeit the power of the Holy Spirit. What what does that look like? How is it possible for a local church, even our own, to forfeit the power of the Holy Spirit or the influence of the Spirit uh, in the church? How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. 
So you're not nurtured by the word of God or nourished by it, excuse me. And so you're starving to death. And so when the word of God isn't preached and proclaimed, it's, what's the point? And the church dies. Yeah. Yeah, Harold. Yeah, so small compromises, not teaching and preaching the whole gospel, maybe focusing on the good news but not the bad news. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, Jesse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So not putting first things first and just making compromises where we shouldn't. Yeah, Elena. So taking scripture out of context, not, not checking what the Bible actually says about things. Like, be like the Bereans in the book of Acts who, uh, as Paul was teaching, went back and said, well, is this really what the Old Testament teaches concerning Christ and him crucified? Let's look it up. Let's check up on it. And uh, we start to get lazy sometimes and just say, okay, whatever he says goes. We don't really have our own Bibles. We're not reading it for ourselves. And it's just... Perhaps even a spiritual laziness that can, that can be built up. Um, what does it, on the other side, how can a local church better rely on the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit? What do we need to do more of? On one end, I heard, you know, you starve yourself on one end, so feeding on the word of God. Um, what else can a church do to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit again? Prayer, yeah. So the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the effectiveness of the church is all dependent on the prayers of God's people. God could do whatever he wants without our prayers, but he chooses to execute what he's going to do on earth through the prayers of his people. And we pray that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God answers the prayers of his people in accordance with his will. Prayer, powerful. Charlie. Oh, yeah. So not neglecting telling the next generation of the gospel of Christ, equipping leaders in the next generation, godly leaders who are going to go uh, and preach the word locally, globally, in the local church where we're at and to the ends of the earth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, knowing that Jesus breathes life into his church through the power of the Holy Spirit. One end, he also breathes life into the church through the appointment of godly leaders. What qualities should you look for when raising up future ministry leaders um, as we're developing young people to, to be the leaders that God has called? What kind of qualities are we looking for? Who should we be looking out for who are, who are going to serve the church, serve as missionaries abroad? What should we be looking for? Yeah, Frank. Yeah, humility. 
Um, just recognizing it all comes from the Lord and the calling from God. And uh, yeah, I think that's a huge one, humility. Yeah, Frank, I mean, here. Yeah. So losing focus of what we've been called to do as a church, to go and make disciples in accordance with Matthew 28, 19 to 20. When we stop making disciples in accordance with what Christ has called us to do, um, we lose our focus. But that's what we need to be looking for in the next generation disciple makers. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, what qualities should you look for in future leaders within the church or within missions as we're raising new folks up? Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to see godly character being formed within them. And you think of the character traits in, of, of pastors or elders, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 2, and uh, those quality traits are going to be evident within the life of those who are going to be uh, the leaders within the local church or the local body. Um, what should you do as a member of the local church if you know that a pastor or a ministry leader of a particular ministry is doing more harm than good? in the local church. What's the, what's a good next step? <laughs> Marianne said prayer. Yeah, what do you do? You call upon Christ who's the one who breathes life into him into the church who who calls people to repentance and and draws their heart back to himself. So prayer is an essential one. What else should you do if you see Yeah, so, so the, the Bible speaks for itself. You take them the word of God and you talk about it, yeah. And I think that connects us, what you were saying earlier, Elena, in terms of being a Berean and um, walking through scripture yourself. And when you have a question, say, hey, I, in humility even, you can say, hey, I, I just don't see this. Can you help me see what you're saying here and let's talk about this further. And if you need to bring another person, it'll be helpful too. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. So uh, there, uh, w- within healthy churches, I think there are a plurality of elders, and you can talk to the leadership of the body and uh, uh, talk about things that, that come up. And so um, we begin with the, the context of the letter. We see that Jesus introduces himself to the dead church by reminding them. He's the one who breathes life into the church, having the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who breathes life into the church by the appointment of of godly qualified leaders who teach and preach the whole counsel of God and who shepherd the flock of God who is among them. Secondly, we go into the corrections in verses two to three. Now, it's interesting to note up to this point, for other, other church, 
except for Smyrna. Smyrna was the one church who only received commendations, the suffering church, the persecuted church. They were told, fear not, remain faithful. The other three churches, Ephesus, Pergamos, Thyatira, they were given corrections, but before he even gave them corrections, aren't you thankful to God? Before he corrects them, he commends them. And he says, I know your works, I know the good things that you have been doing, but now we get to the church of Sardis, and he doesn't begin with any commendations. The only ones he's going to commend in a moment in verses four to six are the few who are faithful. This church as a whole only receives corrections, and he begins in verse two, and he says, uh, or verse one, excuse me, the second part of verse one, and it says, um, I know your works. I know your works. Now, in every other context, it was in the context of commendation. He said, I know the good that you do, Ephesus. I know the good that you do, Pergamos. I know the good that you do, Thyatira. Even though you're the corrupt church, I know the good that you do. But to this church, he says, I know your works. But he says it in the context of a correction. I know the good that you don't do. That's a bit unsettling. That's a bit straightforward. That'll strike some fear into you, or at least it should as a church, if you're a a dying church. But I want you to know this. This whole message is not for the sake of condemnation, but conviction. Because Jesus isn't going to come in and immediately take out the light within that city. But if they continue on the path that they're going, that church will no longer be effective and that light will no longer shine. And so this is a wake-up call. In a moment, he's going to say, wake up, be watchful. You need to... You need to wake up from your spiritual slumber. But he begins by correcting them and saying, I know. I know because I'm the one walking among the seven golden lampstands. I am intimately involved within the local church. I have the the seven angels, the seven messengers of the church in my hand. I've got a firm grip on them. Jesus is not just protecting leadership. He's holding them accountable. And Jesus says, I know your works. I know the good that you don't do. Secondly, he says, I know your reputation. And thirdly, he says, I know your spiritual condition. I know your reputation that what people tell about you and talk about you is that you're alive. People say you're not a dead church, you're a dynamic church. You're like the the church at Ephesus who works to the point of exhaustion. They were the ones commended for their work and their labor. But Jesus says, I know your reputation. I know people think that you're a living church. I know that people say that the ministries are active. I know that perhaps in the past you may have been an effective church. And people talk a lot about the church at Sardis, how they saved the lost, how they evangelized, how they helped, and how they did ministries, how they taught and preached the word. But he says, I not only know your reputation, I know your current spiritual condition. And he says, I know they say you're alive, but you are dead. You have forfeited the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit over your church. You have departed from the doctrinal purity and the moral purity within the body. And he says, you are now dead. And he corrects them. He confronts them about it. Now, when he says you are dead, he's not saying they're completely dead. In a moment, we're going to see there are a few who are faithful, but pretty much they're barely holding on for life. You know, as we get to walk through some of these churches, maybe some of you call to mind a church that you've been a part of and you say, oh, I was part of that church. The corrupt church or the compromising church or the loveless church or or the dead church. You say, oh, I grew up in that church. 
A church who has forfeited the power of the Holy Spirit and is not continuing to do what they should be doing, making priorities of the things they should be prioritizing. Jesus says, I know it all. I know. And so sometimes there are a few faithful few, because we're going to see that in a moment. You wonder sometimes, why do you stick around? (laughs) Why are you remaining within the, the church body? But for whatever reason, those are the ones who are keeping the light shining And those are the ones Christ gives some commendations to and some encouragements to as well. So he begins by saying, I know. I know your work. I know your reputation. I know your spiritual condition. They say you're alive, but you are dead. And then he gives them some of these corrections. Be watchful. Verse 2, be watchful. In other words, awake from your spiritual slumber. Jesus is ringing the alarm clock and saying, wake up. Quit being complacent. You need to wake up and consider your current spiritual condition. Some of you, even among the faithful perhaps, are just remaining silent and not saying much, but he says you guys need to to wake up. Wake up and consider your current spiritual condition, your moral compromise, your doctrinal error, and you need to wake up. You know, this is a reminder to us, there's nothing hidden from our God. Personally, not just as a church, he sees our deepest areas of our hearts and the, the darkest areas of our minds. And it's just a reminder for some, we just need to wake up sometimes. He sees it. And it reminds me of a text in, in Psalm 139, 23 to 24 that says, Search me, O God. Uh, I know that God sees all the sin in me or the sinful attitudes, actions, or affections that I may have, and sometimes I don't even see them myself, and so I need to cry out like the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety. Let me wake up from my spiritual slumber and see if there is any wicked way in me. God, is there any unforgiveness in my heart? God, is is there any sin in my life? God, is there any attitudes, actions, or effect outside of your will? God, expose them and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Be watchful. So wake up. Secondly, strengthen the things that remain. Um, I hope you see the, the, the encouragement here because even when it seems like there's no hope, there's still hope. <laughs> He just told this church, they say you're alive, but you're dead. You're thinking, what else more is there to say? We're going to have a funeral service now for the church. But he says, there's still some things you can do. Wake up, be watchful, strengthen the things that remain, because I know things aren't perfect. He basically says, even if there is some of the word of God being preached and proclaimed, make sure you preach the whole counsel of God. If there's any kind of moral impurity in with the church, deal with it accordingly. You know, he's, he's saying strengthen the things that remain. Maybe I can open it up for discussion here. When you think of ministries of the church that are a top priority, because Jesse just had mentioned, sometimes we, we lose focus of the, the primary ministries of the church. When you think of what those primary ministries are within the body that we need to focus on, that we need to strengthen, that we need to continue to develop, what are those core ministries within the church that we would say, strengthen the things that are? What, what are those things? Yeah, growing in our dependence on the Lord through prayer, recognizing that he's the 
provider of all things, especially the life-giving power of his spirit. Um, he's the one who's directing our ministries, just our, our, our ministry of prayer. It's so essential, so essential. Yeah, what else? What other ministries? Oh, yeah. So not neglecting the next generation as with the children's ministry, youth ministry, always pouring in to the next generation. They're the one, we're, we're not going to be here forever. They need to finish the Great Commission, the task that they've been called to, and we need to not neglect that ministry indeed. So I heard prayer. I heard next generation ministries, children and youth. What other core ministries within the, these are, we need to strengthen these. Ministries of the body. Yeah, sure, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when folks come to faith in Jesus, they get baptized and we celebrate their new life. They're still babes in Christ. They need to grow and they need to develop and one-on-one discipleship goes such a far ways. Coming alongside of them, talking about the fundamentals of the faith and um, teaching them how to pray, how to study the word, how to build godly character as we were talking about earlier and it just makes a, a big difference. Any other ministries you would say, hey, these, this is another essential one we need to continue to strengthen as a church? Yeah, Elena. Oh, yeah. I think, I think that's the, the true definition of uh, fellowship, koinonia. Like we talk about fellowship that we get to have on Sunday mornings where you get to say hi and then bye. How are you doing? I'm good. We're all good, you know, and then we go home. But true fellowship, true koinonia is, is really checking in on our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think one of the things, biggest things that get in the way of that, even for me, is I got my own things got, I got going, Right? I don't have time to talk to other people or pray for you. I need you to ask me how you can be praying for me right now because I've got X, Y, and Z ready and it's just a a humility, a selfless, sacrificial love for our brothers and sisters in Christ saying, that's an essential ministry. Actually being the church and fulfilling the one another's of scripture, bearing one another's burdens. I can't bear them if I don't know them. And so calling on other people to do it as well. And so... Um, so he says, be watchful, strengthen the things that remain. So at least there are some things that remain um, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Uh, thirdly, remember therefore how you have received and heard. Remember. It's just like the church at Ephesus. You know, they were a dynamic church, but they were a declining church because they have left their first love. And so they were told to remember and repent. Now this church is told, remember. Remember how it all began. Remember the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. This is an essential, not just for a dying church. This is an essential for a living church. 
We need to be recalling the gospel of Jesus Christ, the pure message of the good news of the gospel and talk about it again and again and again. That's why we we celebrate communion regularly as a church. The significance of communion is not just taking some bread and drinking some of the fruit of the vine and saying, okay, we did it. It's saying, isn't it amazing what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? Isn't his grace absolutely amazing? My sin is great, but his grace is greater. And every time I think back to what he's done for me, I am overwhelmed with gratitude and it brings me to a place of worship and I want to grow in my love and devotion to Christ when I recall what he did when he gave his life for me. When he went to, to the cross to bear my sins, died, but three days later, rose in newness of life. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's coming back again in glory and we get to reign with him forever and ever. And so that's why they say, remember the good news of the gospel. Remember the joy of your salvation. Remember the the excitement of just growing in your love and devotion for Jesus. Recall it again and again and again. And you know what? I really believe when we're remembering and recalling it and just being filled with joy about it, the next generation is as well. You got these little ones alongside of you and you can't stop talking about Jesus. They say, I want that. I want to experience Jesus. I want to know who he is. I want to experience forgiveness and the promise of everlasting life and there's nothing like it in the world. Remember what we have been taught, the things with, that, that, that first brought it to mind. Remember, therefore, how you have received and, and heard through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then it says, hold fast. Hold fast. To hold fast literally means to walk in obedience to what the Word says. When I hold fast to the Word of God, I walk in obedience to it. When I hold fast to the fact that Christ is the one who lived, died, rose and reigns forevermore, I say, God, you have, whatever you say goes. Your word is the final say on all matters to which it speaks. There are times when I don't feel like that's the right path or the best path. When you tell me to forgive, and I don't want to forgive, but I do it anyways because you are the king over my heart. You're the king over my life. When it comes to how I raise my children, how I interact in the workplace, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. Hold fast and repent. What's the solution to each of these churches? Every time. To to, to Ephesus, to Pergamos, to, 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 to Thyatira, repent. What's the solution to our greatest problem, which is our sin? The fact that apart from Christ, we're headed down a path of destruction and ultimately death in eternity without God and his people forever and ever. The best message we can preach to folks is repentance. The most loving message we can cry out to people and beg them to follow with us, Christ and him crucified, is repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is changing my mind that leads to a change of direction. But I like to take it one step further, that definition 
to change my mind that leads to a change of direction. I've been walking down a path that leads to destruction and ultimate death. And I've experienced the consequence of my sin. And I've experienced the problems it's brought to my church, the problems it's brought to my family. When attitudes, actions, and affections are outside of his will and outside of his word, and now I'm tired of it. I'm not going to live that lifestyle anymore. I'm changing my mind. We're moving in the other direction and I'm taking my family with me. I'm taking my spouse with me. We're going to follow Jesus. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Repentance is not just changing my mind and changing my direction. It's changing my direction to head to the path of forgiveness, the path of everlasting life, the path of heaven, the path of blessing, the path of the joy of the Lord that comes with serving Christ in him. That's repentance, and it's beautiful, And I want to preach it. I want to share it with anybody who will listen to the ends of the earth. Repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a... If you won't wake up from your spiritual slumber, if you will continue on the path that you're on and you won't hold fast, if you will not repent, I will come for you as a thief in the night in judgment. You won't know it's coming And he says, the hour I will come upon you. It's a correction. But the correction is given in grace. It's given in grace. And so we're reminded that um, in light of who Jesus is, we, we receive these corrections, not for the sake of condemnation, but for the sake of conviction. Um, Just walking through these and opening it up for discussion. Be watchful and spiritually alert. Uh, can you think of, of blind spots our church or others have when it comes to, to ministries that could possibly improve? What are the blind spots of the church? You know, the blind spots when you're driving and you can't see the, there's an actual person right there, but your mirror's not capturing it, and you, and you try to get over, and they give you a nice honk at you. What are our blind spots as a church that perhaps, you know, we don't really see that sometimes? Or judgment? Sure, sure. You got a plank in your in, in your eye on one side, and then you uh, calling folks out on the other. Sure. Yeah. So knowing scripture, we, we need to memorize it, we need to study it, we need to go back to it and yeah, hide God's word in our heart, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything else? Rejection? Any others? Yeah, I think it's something to think about because it's a blind spot, right? You say, well... We're doing fine in this ministry, that ministry, evangelism, outreach. What are we missing? And it's just something that we can think about in your individual ministry. Just really want to encourage us with that question to think about, hey, what are my personal spiritual blind spots? Maybe there's a sin I'm overlooking. That's why we pray that prayer. You know, if there's any wicked way in me, Father, lead me in the way of the everlasting. So be watchful, spiritually alert. Be strengthened in regards to um, the, the, the ministries of the church. And we talked about some of those. Be reminded of the gospel. Be repentant of sin. 
Uh, Let me ask this. Is coming judgment or the consequences of sin a good enough reason to turn your life around or a church around? Is it a good enough reason? Jesus threatens them, right? He says, if you don't repent, I'm going to come on you, I'm gonna come after you as a thief in the night, and judgment is coming upon you. Is, is that a good enough reason to, to turn around, turn to Christ and him crucified? Is hell a good enough reason to repent and turn to Jesus? Yeah. I do repent because I love it and I want to be I want to be pleased. That well a threat, yeah, that's gonna work, but you know, I don't think it should be. I think what should be the thing that uh, gets us to repent is we love him because he first loved us. So now we repent because he first loved us. And it's out of love, but motivation. We're out of yeah. So I'm hearing it should be motivated by love. Um, and I think part of that love is a hatred for sin and its consequences and the problems it's brought to my life. And um, those threats can wake me up <laughs> to that. Um, what about your kids? Is it, is it enough to say, hey, if you continue to do this, this, and this, and you don't repent and I don't see a change in your heart, these are the consequences and Judgment's going to come upon you like a thief in the night. Have you told your kids that? I don't know. <laughs> Harold. I, I, I love our discussion. I think it's, it's a good thing to think about. Um, Frank, you want to say something? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jesus gives us not necessarily a threat, a promise, he says. If, if you don't change, I'm, I'm coming for you. But he also gives the promises of to the faithful few, right? And we're gonna see that in a moment and that balances it out for us and that's our draw to the love of Christ as, as we get to see the, the joy of the Lord that, that comes with it because, I mean, even as we're talking about repentance, it's changing your direction to, to the path that leads to blessing and joy and intimacy with Christ and the eternal life with God and so certainly. Um, I, before we move on to the, the, the last point of, of the commendation, let me ask this, what, what are... What are symptoms of, of a dead church? How do you know you're a part of a, a dead or a dying church? How do, what, what's symptomatic of that? We talked about some of that already. I mean, like, uh, um, in terms of sticking to the word of God, a lack of prayer. Any other, any other symptoms that you'd say, yeah, this church is dying or that church is, 
is on the wrong path. Yeah. No fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. Oh yeah. Our holy huddles we sometimes get in. Yeah. Yeah. We're friendly with each other, but sometimes we neglect being friendly with others. Yeah. Anything else? Like you would say, this is this is symptomatic of a, a dying church or a dead church. Anything in addition to that? No Jesus. Yeah. Christ is not the focus. Um, Christ and him crucified. No Holy Spirit, yep. And that's what happened to Sardis. They forfeited the power of the Spirit and you see the, the consequences of that. Any, any last ones you want to share? Yeah, yeah. Just getting distracted from teaching the, the Word of God, keeping that as the focus and glorifying Christ and, and him crucified, certainly. So we talked about the context of the letter. Jesus presents himself as the one who breathes life into the church through the power of the Holy Spirit, appoints godly leaders. He corrects the church. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't just threaten them. He's promising. If you don't change, if you don't repent, judgment is coming like a thief in the night. Now we get the commendation, not to the whole church, but to the faithful few. Let's go ahead. Verse 4 says... You have a few, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. Let, let me ask that, this question. Why do some stick around? Maybe you have. Maybe you have stuck through a, a difficult time in a church. Maybe you've been there for years. Why do some remain in the church? What, what's that motivation for, for sticking around? Anyone want to share? Tradition. Yeah. This is the church I know. This is where I'm going to be. That might be part of it, yeah. Yeah, so maybe God puts it on your heart. I need to stick around. I'm going to uh, continue to shine the light and do what I can as, as the church continues on. Yeah, anything else? Yeah. It, you, you have faith that the church isn't going to continue down the path. They're going to repent. They're going to... Do the things uh, that, that, uh, that, that honor God as they go back to the word, go back to prayer. Yeah, Erica. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First century, all these churches, you got one church in town. You've, you can't go anywhere else unless you're moving. Uh, you go to Ephesus, Pergamon, any of these others, certainly. You don't have a choice. You can't really move around you're stuck, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. So we'll, we'll tell folks next Sunday. It, we're not a perfect church, but where else can you go? I mean, stick around. <laughs> and so he, he tells them, verse four, 
He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall, uh, and they shall walk in white with me. How is that they have not defiled their garments? That tells us that the reason the church is in the state that it's in is not just perhaps doctrinal error that they've been putting up with or moral compromises, but, but re, well, moral compromises, just um, de- defiling their garments, walking in, in sin, allowing sin to progress and continue in their body. And so there are some who haven't. They have, haven't defiled their garments and, and Jesus gives this promise, they will walk with me in white. What is their, the promise given to the faithful few intimacy? Isn't that wonderful to think about? We're gonna be walking with Jesus in white. Not just intimacy, purity, because if you're gonna walk with Christ, you've got to be righteous like he is righteous. Not on the basis of our own ability to perform, but based on the amazing grace of God provided for us through Christ who lived perfectly on this earth and he transfers to our account righteousness. So the promise given is intimacy. That's what we, we, we get to look forward to. The, the promise is given is, is purity. He will walk with me in white for, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. That's the purity. That's the righteousness. And I will not blot out his name in the book of life. Intimacy, purity, eternity. What does it mean that you get written in the book and your name will never be blotted out? Listen, your eternity is secure. No one's going to erase it. You can't mess up. Why? Because you have his perfect righteousness. If we would, couldn't mess up, we would. <laughs> but the reality is we haven't received our own righteousness. We've received the righteousness of Christ. In the first century, um, if you were a citizen of a local city, they had a book that they recorded your name in. And if you were a good, upstanding citizen, your name would remain there. But if you messed up, if your son or, or, or grandson messed up and, and you needed to be blotted out, you would be erased out of that book. You are no longer a good standing citizen, not in the Lord's Lamb's book of life. If you have received the blood of the Lamb, which covers you, you are written within his book. And the promise is that of eternity. And I would also add advocacy, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Wow. When I get to heaven, when you get to heaven, as those who remain faithful, those who have received the righteousness of Christ, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Jesus takes us by the hand and introduces us to the Father and says, this one's mine. He makes an announcement before the angels of heaven and says, this is among the redeemed. And Jesus gets to show us around heaven and introduces us to say, we are among the redeemed of the Lord, not on the basis of our good deeds, but based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Wow. And you think about what are we going to be doing in heaven? We got an eternity to be worshiping Christ in him, the one who died for us, the one who rose in newness of life, and the one who we get to reign with forever and ever and ever. Verse six, this is not just a message to the church at Sardis. 
This is a message to the other six. This is a message to every church, including our own. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is an invitation for Twin Rivers to be watchful, to wake up from any spiritual slumber. If there might be any blind spots, if we have ears to hear any spiritual sense, let us open our ears. And instead of saying, thank God we're not like Sardis, Thank God we're not like the loveless church of Ephesus or Pergamos, their, com- their compromise, or Thyatira and their corruption. But to say, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, if there's any symptoms of death, if there's anything that needs to be corrected so that we can get on the right path again, Lord, lead us in the way of the everlasting. And so um, I just had... A couple last uh, um, uh, takeaways and then just wanted to open up for discussion. First, be found among the faithful. Secondly, look forward to the reward of the faithful. And then I just want to ask this. How do, you, how do you know when it's right to leave a church? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm hearing, if I got it right, it's time to leave a church when um, instead of you doing more good for that church, it's doing more bad for you. And instead of you, you know, serving that church, continuing to shine the light of Christ and contributing to that body, you have nothing left to give and you're being pulled away in your relationship with Christ and it's suffering because of that, yeah. What do you do though, as Erica was saying earlier, when you don't have any church to go to but that one? What do you do then? Yeah, Dennis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, um, making that a last option, 
Like you're part of a family, you can't leave a family when it comes to a church family. You do as much as you can to fight for that church and uh, there might come a point where you just have to say, hey, we're going to Pergamos or we're going <laughs> to Ephesus, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I, I think that's kind of similar here, and when you're, uh, um, instead of doing more good for the church and having a, a positive impact on them, they're having a negative impact on you and your faith, and they're pulling you away from Christ, and it's, it's time to say, hey, I can't do any more good here, uh, I'm suffering because of it, yeah. Anything else, any other last thoughts? I know it's an interesting thought to, to end on, but I, I think it's a, r- a reminder that Regardless of whether we are faithful or not, he is faithful, even to the end. Whether our churches remain or not, Christ, he gives us opportunity to repent and to continue to shine the light, and we are to keep our eyes fixed on him. Can we pray? Father, we are just so grateful tonight as we continue through our study of the seven churches, and coming to the church of Sardis, um, it's just an opportunity to, to, to be introspective about our own walk with Christ, if we have any blind spots, if our church can correct any blind spots that we have, and we just pray, Father, for wisdom, for, for, for that your spirit, which is what brings life to us individually and brings life to our church and the ministries of our church and the effectiveness of our church would be what we walk in. That we would walk in the spirit, that we would not walk in the flesh, and that we would keep our eyes focused on Christ and him crucified, that we would call to mind again and again the good news of the gospel and be reminded that Jesus is what it's all about. He's the one who died, who rose, and offers salvation as a free gift to anyone who would receive it. Father, as we leave this place, may we hold on to the fact that you are faithful even when we are not. And we're grateful for that reminder. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.